Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols, and on today's episode, we have part three, our final installment with Will Noth. If you need an intro to Will, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to part one, and then in part two, we get into some awesome details of like PGA Tour event setup when he played in the Byron Nelson, uh, just the experiences and the feelings that went into that. I, I think that's an it was an awesome detailed episode. Uh, about his experience on the PGA Tour. But in this episode, we dive deep into Will's pre-tournament routine for the Byron Nelson PGA Tour event, why he putts with a line but doesn't use a line when he's practicing, what he did to accidentally work himself into the yips, his pre-round playlist called 45-Minute Golf Warm-Up Number 1. You're going to want to hear that. That's pretty cool. Why chunking your first few shots on the range can actually help the actual purpose of a pre-round warm-up, and then we get super deep and existential at the end. So as you can tell, this this 30 or so minutes has a wild ride to it. So buckle up, you're going to want to hear this. But before we get into this episode, if you feel like you need one-on-one work on your mental game, that's what I do. Yes, I host this podcast, but my actual occupation is working with players all over the world on their golf psychology. If you like this podcast, this is the exact type of stuff that I work on with my players. Tournament prep, practice planning, time management, and of course, the psychological side of golf. So if you'd like to take the next step to improve your mental game, then send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com, or you can visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. Or if you'd like a less formal intro, you could take the mental game assessment. It's a 15-minute questionnaire that hundreds and hundreds of people have taken, and it will give you your mental strengths and areas for improvement. I have recently uh, worked with my wife, (laughs) uh, uh, you know, none other than my wife, to finally get all of these uh, sent back to people. We are fully caught up. So if you take one, it's probably going to get back to you much, much quicker now. The link to everything that I've mentioned will be in the show notes of this episode. All right, let's go ahead and get to part three of my conversation with Will Noth. I hope you enjoy. Okay, well, we can't we uh, we can't go this whole time without getting to two questions that were asked of you. I I asked Twitter, and we've got two. Um, we've got Hutch Hutch Golf on Twitter, of course. We all know that guy. Uh, so. He said he's definitely curious what your pre-tournament routine was and if it changed at all from college golf. So I, I'm assuming he means like morning of or yeah, yeah. What would you yeah. say? How was it different or what was the same? So actually, it was it was a lot more similar than different, um, and I did that sort of intentionally. Uh, the one thing I missed that I, I didn't get to do is I didn't get to meditate. So my senior year of college, I meditated before all my tournament rounds. I didn't do that this time. Uh, there just wasn't really a good spot for it. Uh, and in the car, somehow, no? it, I guess, I guess I could have meditated. In the, I could have meditated in the Escalade, <laughs> the, the, the courtesy car. Courtesy car. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nice. No. Um, so I didn't meditate, uh, but I did, you know, I did do this. I used the same playlist, uh, to warm up like on the range and the putting. Um, but I'll, I'll walk through, I think the easiest way to do it is I'll just walk through the schedule. So sure. 
uh, day one, my tea time was uh, 2.11, I believe. And so I got to the golf course at, I want to say, I got to the golf course just after noon, um, which was good because a couple things came up. You know, we, in, like, we envisioned, like, we want to leave some margin. So we get there. I'd forgotten my credentials at home. Uh, so security was giving me crap and I had to get new credentials. Uh, Nate Lashley thought I was kidding when I said I was playing, uh, it was, it was hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah. So then that happens. And then it also turns out that, uh, we had marked our, uh, we had marked the pins in our yardage books. Turns out we used the wrong pin sheet to do it. Oh no. So we had to change all of two days of pins and two yardage books <laughs> at player dining. Oh, uh, so, so then like I, two like, hours tried, before the round. Yeah. So we're, we're doing all of this, uh, trying to get everything around, uh, tried to get some food in me. Didn't go that great. Uh, cause I was super nervous, but I got some food in me. Uh, and finally we arrived at the, okay, we're going to get our golf clubs and go start warming up just over an hour before the tea time. Um, that's that was pretty much according to plan i think we built in that margin uh, and it was a good thing and if things would have gone smoothly i would have like slow played it to to totally end up on the range at the same time um so the first thing that i do is i start with the putting so i always start with just mid-range putts i hit like a bunch of 12 to 25 footers uh, and, uh, so I took one ball out and I just threw it down, not lining it up. I never practice with lining my ball up. Absolutely. Hmm. Like almost, like I almost never practice with the line on my ball. Hmm. Um, because What's that's when, there? uh, so if I always put with the line on the ball, that's when I have the opportunity to develop more of a perception bias. So if I'm always looking down at the putter in the line, I start to develop, uh, I start to develop sort of a focus on the ball visually. Okay. So I'm lining the putter up to the ball and I'm thinking about the ball and then I'm sort of trying to have faith in my mind that that unit is like oh. aiming my putter correctly, but visually everything is getting like crisscrossed. And if you're like, it, like it's easy to drift away from a baseline on that. So if you're always mm -hmm. like, you're always looking at the ball, it's easy for that perception to get far off from then. If you start like trying to like visualize the putt, hmm. like it, those can get really far away from each other. So mine drifts really quickly. Okay. And I like, I start to develop my perception bias when I'm playing too much and lining the ball up every time. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So if I'm, if, if I play a bunch of tournament rounds in a row, like that's a, and, and I don't practice putting in between, like without a line on the ball, uh, that's a recipe for, I'm going to putt bad for a while after that. Mm, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's so the, so uh, it, when you, when you put down the line and it's aimed directly at the hole and you know that it's aimed directly at the hole and you set set up over it and you see and you and you you take in this is how i'm aimed and i know i'm aimed directly at the hole i don't maybe i don't understand how that can make you drift when 
I know where this ball is lined up. There's no, there's no perception here. It's a, it's an absolute that this ball is lined up correctly. Maybe it's just yeah, you, but, I don't but, know. but still somehow I'm no kidding. You can, you can line that ball up perfectly for me. I can line that putter up to the ball. We can have verified that I systematically return my putter to square. I don't like pull push, right? Like we can, we can verify that I have a neutral putting stroke. It's aimed neutral on a dead straight putt. And I will still get over the ball and think I'm going to miss it six inches. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a you thing. That's a will thing. That that's a will thing, but, um, it's probably not just a will thing. Oh, it's definitely not just a will thing. I think I have a particularly, uh, I don't know. I think I have a bad case of it. Um, (laughs) but, but that being said, I think it's a thing for a lot more people than are willing to talk about it or like put the effort into articulating, you know, most people just call it discomfort. Um, I put a lot of, thought into identifying exactly what was going on and Hmm. what I thought the root causes were. And I think the root cause really is like the root cause really is like things like if you have a few left to right putts that you don't read high enough and you're lining up and you're only lining up to the ball and you're not, you're not envisioning the whole line of the putt anymore. And your, your focus is not Um, your focus is not on the target anymore. Your focus is not on, uh, what the ball is going to do. The focus is only on, oh crap, am I aimed right? Right. Mm. And, and once the focus gets to that point and you have a couple left to right putts that you don't read high enough, it may feel comfortable at the time. Um, but then you see a couple of them miss low and you're like, oh, I, I was aimed too far right there. Maybe I was aimed right of like where Mm. I thought I was. And this isn't a conscious thought. This is like a subconscious thought that builds up over time. Mm. And it it turns into this, like this systematic sort of this systematic bias over time. Um, And, Mm. and that's why, so this is a huge tangent from where we were in the preparation, but that's why you don't do it. This is why I don't practice with the line on the ball, because if I do that, like if I don't use the line, it's a great way for me to fix my putting because it forces me to be externally focused mm. and uh, like getting my putter to where I feel comfortable that I'm aimed somewhere and then just watching where the ball rolls. Yeah. And it starts to self-correct because I start to see like almost like the trace of how the ball rolls off the putter face and that recalibrates my aim. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm going to use that the next time I go practice. <laughs> I'm going to, because I I habitually line it up completely and I end up feeling worse by the, usually end up feeling worse by the end of the practice session or by the time I play next. Yeah, no, totally. And so uh, I I first had this thought because I I originally had this practice of never practicing with a line on the ball um, out of pure laziness. I did. Right. I've just done it. Since the ball. Yeah. Like I, I've done it since I was a kid. Like I, I used to just putt around. Right. So my, my putting practice is almost still like I'm a kid in a lot of regards. Yeah. Like I have, like I go out of my way to do systematic things. Right. Sure. Um, hmm. but anyway, one time I was like, all right, I've done a lot of work on my golf swing. 
Um, my swing feels like it's in a good place. I just played a tournament. This this was during COVID when college golf wasn't happening, but like all the GCAA stuff was. Mm. Um, so I was playing those things in the Carolinas. And mm-hmm. I, I played one at True Blue where I striped it for three straight days and shot like three over for the week because yeah. I like I just putted so bad. Mm-hmm. Like I was losing six shots a day on the greens. Wow. Like, yeah, I I think I shot like a 71 in the final round, losing like four shots putting or oh something my stupid or wow. maybe five shots. Yeah, yeah, it was like I was hitting it so good. And I was like, all right, next tournament's in like a week or two, maybe it was two weeks. And we're going to play really well in that tournament because we know we're trending. We just have to like putt well. Mm. Okay. So I, I made a couple adjustments to my putter and I, I was... I was like, all right, we're going to practice really well leading up to this. So I did a bunch of drills. I went through my routine. I was lining up the ball. I was like, like I would, I acted like I was on the golf course for like a week straight, like, uh, on the putting green, just grinding. And this was during COVID. So, um, my classes were remote. So I was an absolute degenerate on the golf course. (laughs) Just like, yeah, you couldn't get me away from the golf course. I was, I was saying, I was staying somewhere that's like literally like four minutes from the golf course yeah. too. So it was, it was dangerous. Yeah. So I was practicing really hard with my putting, lining everything up, um, doing the T drill with both left to righters and right to lefters, keeping everything like symmetric and mirrored. I did everything as well as I could, but I lined everything up mm-hmm. and then I got to this tournament, which was that, uh, Carolina trace which is like a hard golf course seated green, but the, the greens are like, they're good and not that slopey. So you can make some putts. I have never felt worse on the greens. It was wow. absolutely horrible. Dang. Like it was, and it, by the end of the tournament developed into the full on yips. Wow. I would literally be over a two footer with this thing lined up, like on a straight putt, I would line it up like left center to inside left. And then line my putter left of that and uh, still yeah. feel like it was missing right. Wow. And yeah. it was just horrible. Yeah. Like I've, I've never had less fun on the greens and I, I finished T11. Like, <laughs> because you hit the ball or, so good. Yeah. No, I hit it so good. Or maybe it was T13. I don't yeah. know. It was like almost the top 10, but yeah. I felt so horrible. Mm. And the reason is because I spent a week looking at the ball instead of trying to imagine rolling the ball and like seeing the path of the ball. Yeah. Right? Like it, it just changed where my attention was like, right. uh, it, like where, it, and it's not, it's subconscious, but like once you change where that attention is, you have the opportunity for things to creep in. Right. Yeah. You go from externally focused target focused to, and do like, I feel okay? Am I yeah, lining correctly? Yeah, exactly. Like you, the only external thing now is your connection to the line on the ball. And then it's like, you're relying on a gut feeling of whether or not you're aimed correctly. And that's, yeah. that's like not it's a recipe. Yeah, exactly. It's very fragile. Mm. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Okay. So you, you practice, yeah. you warm up putting and then yeah. what do you do after you get on the, get off the putting green? Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll add that right before I start putting, um, yeah. I start my playlist that's called 45 minute golf warm up. Number one, 
Nice. Talk about systematic. It, <laughs> it, it, so that developed totally out of superstition. I like, I was like listening to a lot of rock in spring 2021 for some mm. reason, like classic rock. Yeah. Uh, I was on like a Pink Floyd kick. <laughs> and uh, so I, I like made a playlist of, or I, no, I just made a queue of things like before one round uh, at Jack Island opening round, shot a bogey 367 with the guitar solo from Money just on repeat in my head the entire day. <laughs> it was such a groove like wasn't ever close to making a bogey okay yeah. it was just like a great round of golf and i was like that groove was awesome i'm mm. gonna start like i might make this a routine so the next day i like i did this again it was the first time i slept on a college lead i played horrible but uh, i like yeah. kept doing this and i made this playlist that's like pretty much exactly what that cue was and i do that every time um and there's like the first song on it is Reptilia uh, by mm. The Strokes. And there's a little drum kick to start mm. the song, like a little drum. And it just like, I hear Locks that and it's it's my trigger. And it's at that point that I like drop the balls on the putting green and start going. And that that little kick into the like the, the bass groove is just like, it's a good way for me. It, it just signals that it's time to start warming up, right? Mm. And Reptilia. It, it, it's a good start. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's totally random, right? Totally random. But that that's just what it is. And that that drum kick is like a little key for me. Um, so yeah, so then I drop some balls on the green, just roll them around for maybe five, 10 minutes, get the speed. Uh, just feel the um putter coast into the ball. It try to feel neutral on the aim. And then uh by the time we get out of the first two songs usually after about two songs i move to the range mm. um stretch a little bit uh so i have like i have a few stretches totally not scientific about it but they're just the ones that i do um and then i always start with an eight iron mm. a lot of people like to start with a wedge i just start with an eight iron sure. and i start off with full swings and i probably chunk the first couple <laughs> yeah I chunk the first couple of that range session and it's totally normal for me to do that. Not a cause for concern because my body is just loosening up. Sure. Right. So, and, and the ground helps me do that. Like a little collision with the ground, you know, it <laughs> shakes up know, the muscles, <laughs> shakes up the muscles, helps you get loose. Uh -huh. Um, and it gets me not scared of the ground and all of that. Yeah, so that's a good point. So I just start off with full eight irons. And once I feel like I'm flushing the eight iron, uh, it's not a number of balls. It's a, once I feel like I'm flushing the eight iron, which on most days, if I'm, uh, in a groove with everything is around the same point, mm. uh, that I usually move to a five iron, uh, the five iron, hit a few of those. Once I feel like I'm flushing them, hit a few drivers. Um, yeah, hit a yeah. few drivers and I was striping them. And then I sometimes do sometimes don't hit some three woods. Um, depending if I'm feeling anxious about it, uh, mm. I feel anxious about my three wood, but actually a lot less so now because I got one from the tour truck that solved my problems. <laughs> nice. It just fixed but, it all. It just yeah, all went away. But, yeah. Uh, well not entirely, but like a lot better. So I, I did hit a couple of three woods that time because, uh, it was going to be like, if I hit that on the course or I was going to on the third hole and it was going to be my third time hitting that golf club on the golf course yeah so i hit a few with that 
and then uh, usually my range warm up is not very long. Um, I don't really try to hit anything but stock shots on the range. It's more about uh, finding the baseline and <clears throat> and being loose, like mm. just being loose, feeling physically good, and calibrating to that baseline. That's what yep. it is, and and that's why uh, in college I was able to have so much success with my uh, with everything returning to the same ball flight and calibration every day is because that's my only focus on the range is making sure I get loose and that, um, my neutral feeling swing does the same thing that it does every time. Right. Right. Okay. If I do that, it's so I don't like, I actually do like make tweaks on the, on the range before rather than, Oh, just play with what's coming out. That's like a great way to introduce uncertainty over the golf ball. So I, I try to get it as close to the correct calibration as I can. And if it, if it gives me like one little swing thought, that's like, oh, I just need to feel a little more flexion today or like, oh, I just need to feel a little bit more pronation in my takeaway. Mm. Like if it's, if it's something like that, that returns me to my normal ball flight, I'm willing to feel that on the golf course. And that goes way better than just like, you know, not letting it all to the calibration. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And then you head to the, from uh, the range straight to the first tee. No. So then I go back to the putting green. Okay. So yeah. So the the range session is, you know, it's about usually like only fifteen twenty minutes. I I have to milk it because mm-hmm. like I will either sit there and just rifle balls all day. Like I hit 200 in a row mm-hmm. or like, or I have to know that I'm warming up and I can't like tire myself out. So yeah. I, I like can't hit that many balls, but if I like only want to hit 30 balls, well, if I like, it's so easy for me to hit 30 balls and like, I swear almost like eight minutes. Like yeah. I, like I'll just rifle through them. Sure. So I, I have to slow play it. Um, yeah. So I, I spend some time like, sort of talking and and just like sort of loosening up and take some time like behind the golf ball like not for any reason other than to take more time sure um usually so at the end of that um i head to the putting green uh as i'm in the middle of my last run of pink floyd songs okay (laughs) yeah so while we're on the range there's a there's an elton john song in there there's nice there's a little queen in there um there are a couple of different things uh yeah. but then once we hit uh pink floyd i end with uh with uh time great gig in the sky money that like continuous run um from from dark side of the moon and i just i end with that run so usually around when great gig in the sky is hitting i'm heading back to the putting green mm-hmm. and i try to time it up so that uh the the putting session the putting session ends uh when i'm getting to the guitar solo with mon- uh, in money and you know sort of that's the last thing i hear before i go to the golf course hmm. uh okay. so yeah and and that last so that last little bit of putting that's i'll try to hit some longer putts i'll try to hit some shorter putts i'll try to be very specific about my aim I'll find like a couple five, six footers uh, that are like just outside the edges, feel comfortable with both of those without the line. And then I'll hit one or two putts with the line just to verify that it rolls end over end. Okay. Mm. 
and it's just a verification thing. It's it's like I only hit a couple putts uh, with the line on the putting green just for that little bit of confidence that, okay, I am squaring up the putter today. Like if I line the ball up in this spot, I think it's aimed here and the ball rolls in that direction. And then I go to the tee. Hmm. What if it's not rolling into end at that point? You're just making a little adjustment or, uh, or say, oh boy. <laughs> so I've only ever had it not rolling end over end like once that I can yeah. remember. All right. Okay. okay. So, Super so there's, rare. there's like, there's only one golf tournament I was getting ready for. And I was like, crap, I can't roll my ball end over end. And that was, um, the national championship my senior year. Oh, wow. Um, the, no, the day before the tournament, I was grinding so hard, like, like talking to my assistant coach. I was like, I was like, I cannot roll the ball end over end. Like I, I can't feel comfortable over the putter. This feels so horrible. Meanwhile, I shot like I shot 67 in that Mm -hmm. practice round. Um, and then in the first round, I was the solo leader. Um, but meanwhile, I was sitting there like, I can't roll the ball end (laughs) over end, like stressing, like it felt so horrible. Yeah. But like, that's why I don't focus very hard on like using the line because even if I'm sitting there saying I'm hitting horrible putts, obviously I wasn't hitting horrible putts because I shot 67, 69 on back-to-back days with hard setup at yeah. Mission Inn. Yeah. Like, like that's that's golf in your ball, right? Mm, and I, yeah. you know, so that's why I don't like to like use the line too much. So if the first couple don't roll end over end, um, I hope they roll end over end. Um, but if those couple happen not to, I just go like, then I just make sure the, the, like, uh, I didn't like push or pull it like a ton. Yeah. Like at least it started online. Like yep. even balls that don't roll end over end probably started online. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. So, so if it doesn't roll end over end, I just don't think about it. You're more concerned that you feel good over the ball and you feel like, you know, where you're aimed. Exactly. So, yeah. And it's, and it's just trying that out one time with, with the setup that I'm going to use on the golf course, just to verify that it feels right. Yep. So that, that kind of, you've probably touched on it. John Sherman, practical golf, his, his question, how can he stop believing he's not a great putter so he can become <laughs> a plus nine handicap? So is that, I mean, is it like, is that something you do where it's like a self-deprecating thing or is it, um, what do you think? What, what's he talking about there? So what he's talking about is, um, People who know me, uh, with people who know me, I'm infamous for being, uh, I'm a horrible putter guy. Yeah. And, you know, I can tell. while I, while I was saying it, it was true. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's my defense of myself. Like it was true. Okay. Um, you know, we can have conversations all day about correlation causation was my attitude causing me to be a bad putter. Or did oh, I have a bad some. attitude because I was a bad putter? For me, like I'm as a person, just too logical to like, to, to lie to myself basically. So if I'm not putting well, like I, like I have enough of a head on my shoulders that I know when I'm not putting well, like if I'm hitting four putts, I know off the putter face and I can't hide that. And I have a really hard time not being honest with myself about stuff like that. Um, it would be great if I could be 
dishonest to myself because, you know, you know, that would be great. I think I probably would be a better putter, Mm. but really, really it is like empirical results. Absolutely. Like I'm, I'm an empiricist. Like I'm a believer in that, like, uh, you know, in physics, the standard practice is you can do all the math you want. Um, but if the experiment disagrees, then the theory is wrong. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Like, like the theory, like you, and, and the other thing is like, statistically, you can only disprove a theory, right? Mm. So like, like your, your theory is going to give you a point estimate of like a value. And then you're going to be hypothesis testing off of that. And you can only, you can only like convince yourself that your theory is wrong. Right. So if I'm sitting here saying that I'm a good putter all the time and then I start like I have like I'm just hitting bad putts, like the evidence mounts up and there's a certain point at which I am just incapable of being honest and saying I think that I'm a good putter. Yeah. Um, And that is something I struggle with. Uh, I I, you know, for the purposes of my golf game, it would be nice not to be like that. But for the purposes of my life, I'm very happy that I'm that way. Sure. Right. Um, I think the the thing that I that I'm trying to do to be a better putter um, is that I'm I'm trying to be a little bit better about how I practice uh, in the sense of thinking about where my attention is while I practice a little bit better hmm. and thinking about where my attention is on the golf course because there have been periods of my life where I have been a very, very good putter. And I'm not talking like a few, a fluke few rounds here and there. I'm talking about like periods of time that lasted months or years where I putted the lights out. Like, like when I was 13, 14 years old, if I had the line on a 20 footer and the green was smooth, it was going in. Like it just was like, my high school golf coach after like two seasons told me he didn't think he ever saw me miss a putt inside 10 feet. Yeah. Like I, I, there have been times where I putted really well. So I I know I'm capable of it. I know my putting stroke is good. Mm. Like that's also an objective truth that I carry with me all the time. I always say it's not the stroke. Mm. I know my putting stroke is good. I've even had it measured like David Orr told me I had a really good putting stroke. Yeah. So I'm like never going to think that I have a bad stroke. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's really about um, I know I'm capable of it. So trying to think about where my attention is when I am putting well and then practicing like practicing those attentional things mm. so that I spend more time in that mindset of when I'm putting well. Right. And then hopefully, you know, empirical results stack up. Yep. Um. So that, that's sort of, that's sort of the thing. So making sure I'm, I'm focusing on the right things, like with my line and then, you know, the, the results and the comfort sort of speak for themselves. And I think I, I have made a lot of progress in the last about two years on that, on that frontier. I've made a lot of progress. Well, you know yourself and you know what it takes for you to be better. And if you focus on that diligently and systematically, you'll get better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I pretty much just have it that there's no hope the conventional route of just tell yourself you're a great putter 10 times a day. Like that's not going to work. 
for me. Right. So I, I, that's why I'm, you know, I'm trying to like trick myself. It's, it's almost like, like metacognition and, uh, sort of using that because I know that my putting stroke is capable of hitting a lot of really good putts. And honestly, when I was out there on, on the, on tour, uh, the greens were rolling pretty like almost perfect. Mm. Like they were really consistent speed wise, which is something that's like underrated. Like, mm. you know, a lot of golf courses have some greens that are faster and some that are slower. Mm. These ones are really consistent. So I got to a really good calibration and they yeah. were really comfortable speed between 11 and 12. And I lag putted so well, like my speed was amazing. Um, I was relatively solid on the short ones. I missed a couple short ones, but I hit I hit so many really good putts that it's going to be hard for me for a while to be like to not believe that if I focus on the right things that I can like hit good putts on average. Right. Right. Yep. So so that that's what I'm holding on to for now, but it, it really is like making sure my attention is in the right place, like over time so that things don't drift and I can, you know, get into that mentality that I get into when I am putting well. Good. I love it. Well, we could talk all day. I, and as much as I would love that, we, we should, uh, let ourselves do other things. You need to go get to the golf course and, and take a break from being a PhD uh, student. I got to help my friend move today. We're, we're not going to the golf course, but. Oh no. Um, yeah, no, golf okay. course is the tomorrow thing. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Where would you send people? I mean, obviously your Twitter, I'll have a link to your Twitter in the bio. Would you, is there something you could promote or, and if not, is there like, uh, something you've read recently that you could recommend? Sure. Um, all right. So I, I don't really have anything formal other than my Twitter and my sure. Twitter is very informal too. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like to put out a lot of stuff on there. Um, You're a good follow. You're a great follow. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. I, I try to, uh, I try to be as interactive as possible. Like, you know, uh, respond to as many things as I can and just, you know, just say as much truth as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of things I've read recently, uh, I'll, I'll put you guys in a different direction. Um, we're not going golf related, but uh, funny story. Uh, the whole reason I got into the Byron Nelson is the Byron Nelson award. Um, part of that was an interview and they asked me what was a book I read recently that, uh, had an influence on my life. And for some reason they liked my answer. So, uh, well, let's hear so it. My answer. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, yeah, right here. Jean Paul Sartre existentialism is a humanism. Okay, wow. so this is uh, mid 20th century existentialism, French guy, I did a lot of drugs. Uh, but long story short, uh, it's, it's a new way of looking at like what it means to be like a moral, like solid person and, and what it means to sort of like approach your life in a way that you can be happy about, hmm. like a, a way that you can look at yourself in the mirror. Um, sort of the the whole like thing that it boils down to is you know the only thing that we know to be real really is um you know our our consciousness right and and in a way 
because of that. Uh, you know, he, he makes all the necessary logical steps and whatever, but it, it, it leaves you in a place where you really need to decide your own morality, right? If you like, unless you go to a religious context, there really isn't any other way to do it because it just breaks down. If there's no authority to tell you what's right or wrong, like who decided that? So really it puts the burden back on you as a person that in every situation it's, it's on you. Like you're deciding for all of humanity, what you think is the right thing to do in that situation. And it really is just like what you do is your decision. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there is no hiding, like it, like there is no hiding. Like, so the, an example that was given is there was a student who couldn't decide if he wanted to, um, go join the war effort, right. Uh, become a soldier, join the war effort, like fight for freedom and what was just, or take care of his sick mother. Okay. And there, there are two, like, you know, there are two things that are like, both a good thing for you to do, but each one at the opportunity cost of the other. Yep. Right. And it's how do you decide between those two things? Like no external authority can tell you which of those two things is the right thing to do. On the one hand, like uh, you, ha you have the collective good that's uh, reflected in joining the war effort. Right. But then you have like an individual good that you can do for someone uh, that means something to you personally. So mm -hmm. it's a it's a personal and almost selfish thing to take care of your mother, right? And these are two totally different like ways of being morally correct, but obviously you have to decide. How do you do that? And how do you say which one's better? Well, the answer to which one you believe is better simply lies in which one you decide to do. I see. Right? Hmm. And it and because of that. Um, it means that in all of those decisions and even just like, just what you decide to do on a day-to-day -day basis with your life, it gives you this purpose of sort of when I make these decisions, this is me mapping out my own morality, right? And it's, yeah. it's me, it's me mapping out who I want to be as a person. And ever since I read this, uh, I read this when I was, I want to say 19, um, it's it's really uh given me a much more healthy perspective on life and huh. and honestly helped me get to that place where i just you know i do whatever feels good in the moment right. I, I you know i do things that open doors so that i will have opportunities but i decide what the best thing is to do and you know am comfortable with my decisions because i subscribe to this philosophy and i i think it's i think it's very interesting hmm. That is interesting. That's fascinating. Okay, so we've got a, a deeper resource recommendation from Will. I love that. That's awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Will. This is this. Is, I, I would honestly love to continue to talk to you for hours, <laughs> but we got things to do. Uh, so I really appreciate it. This is this has been an honor and a privilege to get to talk to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. This is a blast. All right, everyone, hope you enjoyed our final part of my conversation with Will. How about that pre-round warm-up and the thoughtfulness and detail of it down to the exact point of a drumbeat and a song? 
That might sound pretty crazy, but Will's an excellent player, so there's probably something to it. If you'd like more from Will, go check out his Twitter. He's at FreeWilly, and it's not spelled the way you think it is. If you're typing it out right now, that's F-R-E-E-W-I-L-L-L-Y-Y-Y-Y. That's three L's and four Y's, so definitely go check him out. He's genuinely an, an awesome guy to follow on Twitter. He's smart, thoughtful, great player, posts a lot of videos of his golf swing and what he's thinking about it, so I highly recommend he's a he's a great follow. I wasn't just saying that to butter him up. He is a legitimately great follow, so go check him out on Twitter. As I always mention at the end of these episodes, what you've heard isn't therapy. It's meant for information and education purposes only. If you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things you're going through, I highly encourage you to go talk to a licensed professional. But on the golf psychology front, if you feel like what you've heard doesn't quite cut it and you'd like to work one-on-one with someone, I'm a golf psychology coach. I work with players all over the world on improving their mental game so they can improve their performance on the course. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or you can visit my website joshnicholsgolf.com. Or again, if you'd like a less formal intro straight to me, you could take the mental game assessment. You don't have to talk to me at all, right? It's just a free 15-minute questionnaire that hundreds of people have taken. It will give you your mental strengths and areas for improvement. The link to everything will be in the show notes of this episode. All right. Thanks again to everyone listening to this podcast, whether you're new here or you've been here since day one. I really appreciate the community that we've built. If you've enjoyed this episode and you love all these conversations with Will and you've learned something, go subscribe and also leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Maybe mention one thing that you've learned in this episode or your favorite thing that you've ever learned uh, across this podcast. I would love it if you also shared this episode with a friend, Uh, maybe someone who uh, listens to music before they warm up, but it's terrible music and they actually need a good playlist. Well, here's some good options from this episode. Share this with that friend who who just listens to terrible pre-round warm-up music. Okay, thanks for listening to The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I will catch you guys next time.